Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So, um, right. Yeah, I mean, Dan Cole's kick chase was pretty good, wasn't it? And Helga's fail, though, so. This is round three of the Six Nations, your Monday morning review for the love of rugby. I'm Ben Youngs. No Dan Cole today. He's back on Thursday. Anthony Watson is with me. It's an upgrade from downtown Brown, Mike Brown. And I suppose three cheers to Duane van der Merwe. Merv the Swerve. How good. <laughs> Oh, mate, it's tough watch that one, isn't it? Um, fair play to him. I mean, from a winger's perspective, those are some unbelievable finishes. But as an England fan and, you know, knowing all the lads, it's tough to watch. Like I said, fair play to him, mate. There's, it's not easy to go over it in the way he did. And he's the most relaxed bloke on planet Earth. So for him even to have the motivation to get it over from 55, I was like, that's pretty special. That is exactly the insight we're looking for. That is why you've joined us. We'll get stuck into doing Van der Merwe tries in a bit. But Tom Fordyce is back here with us. What do you want to talk about, mate? Hey, Ben, nice to see you. I can tell you what my dad wants to talk about because he will not stop texting me about how the Italy game ended. And to be honest, I can't blame him because it was ludicrous. 13 points apiece going into the last minute. Italy win a turnover deep in the French half. And Paolo Garbisi, who has just nailed this unbelievable conversion from the left touchline, has the chance to bang over a penalty for a historic Italian win. It looks quite straightforward, Ben. But then the ball falls off the tee. He's looking at the stop clock. He's down to about 11 seconds. He runs back, puts the ball back on the tee, runs back, kicks the ball, and it hits the post and bounces to safety. And suddenly the pitch is full of Italians with their hands on their heads, looking astonished and very, very sad. Unbelievable, right? Um, what what could have been? 
And for it to end that way is no one's fault, but it's so, so unbelievably cruel because what a scalp that would have been for them. Gutted, aren't you? I mean, like, what are you doing with that tea? Do you reckon you keep that tea? Do you bin the tea? What would you do with that tea? I'm burning that tea. I never want to see that tea again. It's not even making the recycling bin. That's just being burned. <laughs> even, even with all the damage to the environment that burning is quite a solid piece of plastic will do, I'm burning it. Oh, but the drama, the heartbreak. What could have been, eh? The drama and the heartbreak. We'll get back into Italy, France later, I think, Ben. But... We cannot ignore the fact that Scotland have now beaten England four times in a row. How does that feel? Awful. <laughs> I actually, I feel awful about it. It's another painful 12 months ahead for us. Like for so long, I felt like we've dominated Scotland and now the other way around. And it's just not nice being on the receiving end of this. Oh, death by a thousand cuts once again. It is the sort of match, Ben, isn't it, that gets people talking. And we have had a lot of messages in from our listeners. If you want to join in with this, just search for Love of Rugby on Instagram and TikTok. I've got a couple of choice ones here for us, Ben. This one's from Lauren. Lauren says, at this point, the Calcutta Cup will be deep fried by the time we get it back. Message from Joe. <laughs> I like this one. How many biscuits did Dan have this week? His chasing Dan of kicks was inspiring. That is a fact, Joe. One from Kyle as well. We could have won that if we tidied up the handling errors. Yeah, possibly, Kyle. Um, right, Ben, we're going to break down the first 20 minutes. And if you listen to this, you might be thinking, were they watching the same game? But it did start so well for England. Let's break down England's try. So left-hand scrum. So scrum's brilliant to attack from. Yeah, I think line-outs are becoming harder and harder given how many forwards and stuff are able to come out. So it makes scrums even more of a, an opportunity for us to, to try and get go forward. Yeah, so they get a perfect opportunity. Left-hand scrum early in the game. They run it run quite a generic play, which quite a lot of teams actually use. But the advantage this week is they've got Ollie Lawrence on a short line and they've got obviously got the pace of Ben L getting out from the scrum. So left-hand side, Ben L picks out of the scrum with his pace, gets on a nice 45. Ollie Lawrence into the first seam, which actually brings Russell in. And actually, when you watch it from behind, you see that Tuipulotu is actually quite far from Russell. And there's quite disconnect between him and Russell, right? Which means he can only then come in on that lead line. So Lawrence sticks down Finn Russell. It goes out the back to nine. Danny Cares then turns the corner, which means Tuipulotu then has to almost look at care and check the next lead, mm -hmm. which is Henry Slade. Then it goes out the back again to George Ford. By this point, the centres have all come in. Two plotters come in. Hugh Jones has had to come in. He's had to make a read. And George Ford leaves it lovely on that shoulder for Elliot Daly. Gets just in behind the Scotland defensive line and a great offload to George Furbank. But obviously, from a nines point of view, all I'm looking to do is get the ball off eight, get it out the back, and then almost turn the corner and sit down. And then I'm making a decision on, does 12 or 13 turn in if he turns in I know it's out the back if he sits and turns out because I'm looking at his shoulders I know I play that short ball to Slady who goes through so my decision's on Hugh Jones but from a winger's point of view put yourself in Elliot Daly's position what are you looking at mate how do you know where to call it off George how do you know where to tell him to put it in front of you you break that down for me and what are you looking at timing as well the timing is, is tough it's probably the hardest bit about it from a winger's perspective because you obviously start closer to the scrum on the left hand side so he's got a lot of ground to cover and a lot of his movements will be lateral when at the end, he really needs to be going straight like he did. But what he's really reading off is the width of Duhan because ideally the move is set up to, to execute exactly how they did where they tighten up 10, 12, 13 and winger becomes in no man's land. So that's all you, the winger or Elliot is really reading off. If Duhan came in to get Elliot, George would have put it in front of him to George Furbank. 
that's all the wingers really looking at. Um, a lot of the decisions are made inside. Yeah, you're right. You're basically saying that halfbacks make all the decisions tone and you just pop up in the right place at the right times, right? Mate, you know that is 100% fact. <laughs> I just want all the listeners yeah. to know as well. I, That's bro, I, I ain't even going to lie, Len. I'm not even going to lie about it. <laughs> I love that from you. I love that from you. Um, you're welcome anytime. Um, so if you looked at, so like England obviously score brilliant. You're thinking like great in the game. They then get back down again, race into like a 10 point lead. And you're thinking absolutely awesome. Like England have gone to Murrayfield, almost silent the crowd, scored a great try off set piece, 10 nil lead. Absolutely brilliant. But another thing that helped England get to that 10 point lead was the aerial game yeah. and the and the contestable kicking game. First prize is obviously catching it. And I think um, Fremo did a great job catching one from a cross kick in the first half. And he actually did really well throughout the whole game disrupting. The second prize is to be able to um, regain possession, whether that's through tapping it back or however you want to do that. And then third is probably like forcing a knock-on where you've got a set piece and you've got territory. Yeah, and I think from a team's point of view, like you're putting the kicks in the air for you to go and get after and disrupt to try and create. Well, you want the ball further down the pitch, of course you do, but you want unstructured and chaos and you know, that wing has come forward to it. If he doesn't win it and, and we regain it, that means he's changed it. The backfield's then changed. You can kick on kick. That's the Lenny special, bro, that kick on kick. Well, it's, as soon as the as soon as the winger comes up right tone and he doesn't gather it, right, fullback's on the far edge. So if he doesn't win it, fullback has to belt it across to cover that winger that's then gone in the air and hasn't won it. Yeah. And you saw Danny Kerr try and do one that uh, unfortunately went out on the full and it was the right option, kick on kick, won it turn them again looking at a 50-22 great option unfortunately just didn't quite go right but first half it was also full of errors right Scotland made a lot of errors England made a lot of errors especially from strikes looked at line outs like the first three strikes that Scotland did they tried to go over the top of line out so they send someone down the front of line out goes all the way over the top of line out to trying to get into that seam they're definitely trying to I felt like they're trying to get to George Ford so that England won that one and the second one they it was really scrappy and then Duan carried into George and he did a great rip so I thought George did an awesome job of that and then the third one they carried again. George did an awesome tackle. Underhill straight over the top, like penalty. So Scotland almost couldn't get into their game because England's contestable was so good. But equally, their line-out strikes, they struggled. And I thought England did an unbelievable job at doing that. Mate, George doesn't get the credit he deserves. I know we'll give him stick for his tackling, but genuinely, he doesn't miss a whole lot of tackles. I would say teams target him as much as you want. You're not going to get great pay there. No, I totally agree, mate. Like I think you'd rather run at him than Ollie Lawrence and all them, but you're so right. George is so effective there. The strip is a big part of his game he often gets one a game where he just rips it and, and they can become key moments. And I thought England did a great job in terms of almost stopping Scotland's strike because, you know, you've been coached by Gregor at Lions, right? He's big on strikes, is he not, from lineups? Yeah, 100%. He loves them. Um, and to be fair to him, he's quite detailed with each little intricacy of the strike. So I think more importantly, for, just for from a team perspective, if you're sat in the Scotland camp and you've had your first three strikes go like that, you're kind of thinking, Jesus Christ, where do we go next? So that was a great into the game for England. Um, you know, like you said, combining that with their contestable kicker game, I thought we were we were onto a winner there. I agree, mate. Like ten nil up, Scotland's like lineouts not functioning. England are getting the better of them. They can't strike. I was thinking like we're in an unbelievable position here. Like we are at Murrayfield. Scotland's they can't get anything going. And then boom, the scrum. We need to talk about the Dewey's tries. All three Dewey and Van der Merwe tries. So right, okay. Duan, in a moment, if, Ben, you ignore the handling errors and the individual mistakes, if you look at the first 19 or so minutes in isolation, are there actually any signs of progress in there? Like in terms of an overall strategy of what England are trying to do, there's a question we've had from Ian West and uh, Westy has put his finger on it. 
Ian asks, England look devoid of attacking options. What is the game plan? Um, Set-piece dominance, a high-kicking game, and the defence is, is huge right now. In terms of the attacking stuff, like Lawrence gave us a bit of punch, but we have skillful players. In fact, we have wonderful players, gifted players that are great at the line and executing all that. You know, I'm sure people li- listen to me now and go, what are you on about? I just watched the game. But genuine, they're brilliant, which makes me think that maybe during the week they're not getting enough reps. Maybe the attack isn't the focus in the week as much as it should be because there's a new defensive system and maybe that is taking a huge amount of priority along with the foundations of a high-kicking game of what Steve likes to do. Although they're talking about growing this attack, I'm not sure they're getting probably the reps and the amount of time spent on it to actually fine-tune it. That's what I'm That's what I'm seeing. But we look like a team that maybe only run the strike plays twice in the week and then try to run it against an actual opposition trying to stop you. Essentially, we came unstuck. So there is an abundance of talent, right? But are we playing to the ability to complement those talents within that squad. And I'm not sure I've seen that over the last couple of games now. In fact, it's probably a period of of 12 months now he's he's had the reins for. So uh, this isn't a isolated incident in Scotland. This is 12 months he's had the reign for. You know, I'm seeing a team that isn't unlocking its potential and is probably playing a way or a style that maybe doesn't suit the individuals that are available to select from. And 12 months can be a very long time, can't it? I mean, if we think back to when Eddie Jones came in after the 2015 World Cup and England won a Grand Slam, if you go further back to Warren Gatland coming in as Welsh coach in his first spell and they win a Grand Slam. So it is possible to make big changes to teams in a short period of time. Yeah, even, even actually when Stuart Lancaster took over from Martin Johnson, I think we came second that year. And again, that's only two weeks leading into that first game. So you can play a tune out of the players very, very quickly. Even if you look at it from a 12-month period, Steve's come in. He's worked with, a lot of guys have worked with him at Leicester anyway, but he's come in for 12 months. So he's had that chunk of eight weeks from last year's Six Nations. We then had five months together during the World Cup. And a lot of those players that I saw play at the weekend were involved in big games at the World Cup. And now they've had another four weeks in camp recently. And I'm just trying to see where the evolution is. And I'm sure that's the frustration of fans. In fact, I know that is the frustration of fans. As I said, the only thing I can think of is right now, the priority still seems to be is set piece, kicking game, and really trying to do a load of defence because of a new system. And attack, I just don't think is high on his agenda. But somehow, despite all that, England were tenil up and looking pretty good. Until that is, Dewan van der Merwe turns up and scores a hat-trick. But let's talk about this first one, right? Left-hand scrum, a traditional move which a lot of teams uh, run off scrums is 9 to 12. So 10 steps starts the normal position with winger just behind 10 off a scrum. And it goes in front of 10 straight to 12. 12's trying to get to England's 12, right? Yeah. And I think what's happened on this instant is everyone's saying about Henry Slade, but actually they're wrong. What's actually happened there is when that move is ran, your expectation as defence is to try and make sure that 10 gets to 12, right? Yeah. So 10 will get to 12. And if you watch it back, George Ford actually gets to 12. But because Scotland are taking it right to the eye, Ollie Lawrence can't really be sure that George is going to get him. And the blitz defence is you're off the line and you kind of live and die by the sword, right? You fly off the line and South Africa conceded against England and I played in this one when Joe March went clean food with Henry Slade in the autumn of 2021 and little subtle so what Scotland do is they get it he does a little bounce line overs and then he just plays him short Ollie Lawrence great hit and everything but he's really probably needs to get to 13 George will get to 12 and then Slady can get Finn out the back but Slady in the blitz has done the right thing he's trying to get Finn 
Ollie's jammed in on 12 and it just left a little hole for Hugh Jones who's gone through because no one's fault it's no one's fault it's just they've ran it really well and, and just a read right you're bang on um, you know with teams coming with more and more line speed as they are nowadays it's like that bounce line that the 13 or Hugh Jones ran in that instance is, is harder and harder to defend because you want to get up high and you want to get teams behind the gain line but to do so you have to make calculated risks and you know this one didn't pay off unfortunately but they're not going to change their defensive system over something as small as that like you said it's a minor detail that can be fixed up with a meeting and probably even a conversation on pitch so it's not a drastic error or anything like that on another day that goes out the back to Finn Slady boom hits him winger hits him it's unbelievable deep exactly and it's the same as when England ran it in 2021 in that autumn it's Africa got a fantastic defense and actually you just sometimes just get caught in these little subtleties so you know, the D, I was actually really impressed with again. Like, it's flying, it's harassing Scotland. I thought Scotland made a load of errors on the back of what England did. Nine errors in the first half. Mm. And that's so much of that was through England's defence. Yeah, I think England made eight or something and, and Scotland made nine. But I thought all of Scotland's were forced. Do you know what I mean? Like, England forced those errors. Marrow, guys like that were all up in, you know, the Scottish players' faces. And, you know, when you're catching a ball and you've got Marrow breathing down your neck, mate, it's not ideal. The first three games, the defence has looked solid, in my opinion. So when teams exit, they normally hit up a pod of forwards. One, to get their back rowers on their feet or get the wingers back on their feet. Or they'll hit up to make it tighter to touchline. So Scotland went a couple of times where they're sort of almost on the 15. And you want to get closer to touchline for a box kick and they play a little pod of three. But England were absolutely flying at it. And twice, like Scotland didn't even hit the right guy. They didn't even know what was going to cause havoc. And England were definitely going for those exit pods to set up the rucks, without doubt. That must be brutal as a forward, mate. I tell you what, I would hate to be in that pod, bro. <laughs> mate, can you imagine? Who's putting your hand up to carry that? Oh, Who bro, wants this, lads? No chance. That's probably why they all left it. That's probably why they all left it. It was like a pinball out there. Oh, my God. Bro, it reminds me of that time, actually, they um 2017 Lions tour, mate. For some reason, I don't know why, but there must have been like four or five backs training and they made me go and do pick and goes against Alan Wynne-Jones and Maro Toji. <laughs> I got filled in for about 20 minutes straight. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that's not really a reflection of them though if they're filling you in, are they? Let's, let's be honest. Yeah, fair enough. But What was the theory behind that? I have absolutely no idea, but mate, when a coach tells you to do something, you don't really ask too many questions. So I just did it and got filled in. Was it to pump their tyres up? Because it couldn't have been to pump yours up, mate. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, do you know what? So obviously you'd been coached by Gregor at Lions, mate, on the last tour. You know, against the Blitz D, how many strikes would he go in? Like, what would be the menu of scrum and line-out? Like, how many total would he be going into game with? Maybe five or six line-outs. And then it's general across most teams that so you've got a stock batch of, like, scrum pays that you go to. And obviously you vary them based on the defensive systems. So I'd probably say that they, that lead option off the 9-12 you know, they were probably leaning heavily towards hitting the lead on that, I'd say, in the week. But a lot of their game plan would have been dictated by how England defend and bringing in their wingers like they tried to do off off one of their set pieces, bring Duhan in and get him picking and going. That would have definitely been blitz-related. Uh, you know, they did pick and go a lot throughout the whole game. So I think that that was definitely something that they looked at. So he is pretty detailed um, and, and a lot of thought will go into how things are, are done. But I'd say it's, it's more tweaks as opposed to throw the whole playbook at it. Even when they're picking and going, they're doing that because they want to tighten England up. So if you pick and go, pick and go, England obviously get tighter and tighter and actually then try and get around them. Just with Dewan's second try, comes from an England error. Uh, England actually going through some phases a little bit, goes out of the back to George and then 
George Furbank and Henry Slade that they don't quite know who's catching it because it sort of glances past Henry Slade and then George almost goes for it and anyway, it comes off his head. But Hugh Jones, literally, rugby 101, any turnovers, like shift it straight away, catches it, great pass to Duan van der Merwe and like, to be fair, Gerdaran Ben Earl, who is a hell of an athlete in that space and then the pick up and like go is this phenomenal, right? It is, mate. I think it's just, uh, for me watching it, it's just the pickup of the initial decisiveness and acceleration just to go because that's what caught Ben off guard. You know, you stop and think about where you're going and that's when the defence has more time to get into position and where he ends up scoring is probably impossible if he waits too long after he's caught the ball. So that decisiveness just to catch it and go and then when he's got round Ben, I think even just to continue backing yourself because... Everyone knows, mate, as a winger, if you get banged into touch, everyone's looking at you like, bro, what are you doing? Come on, man. So to have the confidence to then go around Slady, who's not a slouch at all, like Slady's rapid, to be able to do all of that back-to-back, this special is genuinely pretty special for him to be able to to go and do that. Um, so fair play to him. Is that like instinct, like winger's instinct? And like when you get the ball in space... Is he just autopilot there, gone, right, I've got it, boom, there's the outside? I reckon it's autopilot, yeah. It's, it's too hard to break it down and think too much when you've got the ball, especially from turnover like that when you weren't expecting it. Benel's right in your face when you've caught it. I think he's just gone, and then he's gone again. Once he's seen Slady coming across, his decision to like continue going is definitely conscious, and you know that's why I say fair play of having the confidence to be able to go on the outside there. But the initial part of it is definitely autopilot. From experience, I can say that, you know, I reckon there's a good 70, 80% of the time when I catch the ball in space, I really don't think about what I'm doing. The space is wherever the space is and you go to it and whatever happens after that happens after that, you know? Because it's too, you can't think in those split seconds about where someone's shoulders are or have they overchased? It just happens. The most of it is, is instinct-based. You're both wingers for the first two tests of the Lions, right? Yeah. Uh, what's his point of difference? Because obviously he's a big, specimen right he's Massive a big bloke, bloke. <laughs> yeah like huge yeah. he's got a lot of point of differences to be fair to him like he's uh ball in hand like mate when you run 10 plus meters per second and you're 110 kilos it's like no one wants to be in that collision when you're coming down the wing and he's one-on-one with you you know and he's got good footwork as well so it's like he's one of those wingers where when he's got ball in hand there's no real weakness he could step you he could make you look silly a hundred ways it's tough you know when you're coming up against him one-on-one it's tough because you don't know which you've got to be prepared for a full-on collision but then you've got to be prepared for someone who's pretty nimble who can change direction pretty quickly so it's tough but he's he's a good winger and that's why you know you get don't get picked for the lions for being average do you no you how does he compare to someone like Damian Penno? Like, how would you prepare defending against a Penno or a Duan van der Merwe? I'd say those two are actually pretty good comparisons, and I wouldn't actually prepare differently for either of those. You definitely have to prepare differently for someone like uh, Darcy Graham, Cheslin Colby, or Curtly Aronson, someone like that. You know, there's like, or or Ben Youngs. You know, if he's on the wing, I've seen him numerous times in camp running on there. <laughs> no, you you did me dirty. Let's just let's just right, basically right, and I'll never forget Ant for this. I'll never forget. Him. Right, I was on the wing in England training once, and we were training at London Irish's ground. It was like a two day camp in pre season, right. And I'm on the wing and Ant gets the ball in, I'd say, three metres of space, <laughs> right? Might have been less, but it was three metres. And I'm like, I-, I, was all right. I was like 29 at the point, you know, I was young and like, I could, I could move. <laughs> and I swear to God, he's gone in and out. I don't even know how he's done it, right? But you've gone in and out, rounded me. I'm on the floor somewhere, <laughs> like, like, 
in the recovery position, like I've just like collapsed, like someone's put me in the recovery position and Ant's skittling down a score in the corner. And until this day, I've never, never, ever forgiven him for that. <laughs> Do you know why? Do you know why it makes me laugh so much? Is because normally people say that and they're like, you know, added a bit of spice in terms of not forgiving them. But you actually have not let me forget it that happened. Every time we're one on one, you say something about that happening, it kills me. That's because I face planted that hard because, like, I didn't know where you were going. The hot stepper. I face planted that hard. That I, I, I had severe concussion for like two weeks. Be on the back of it because I just face planted and chewed the grass. Oh my god. <laughs> Double hand air swipe. You what they teach Sunday rugby? Ring of steel. The ring of steel like didn't work. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> anyway, like, apart from running around me, let's get back to. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Um, Cheslin Colby and a Duan van der Merwe. Like your preparation, how would that differ with a Cheslin Colby or someone like that? You, I'd be more inclined to try and push them to the outside or you know bide my time a little bit the guys who are kind of shorter in stature and, and quick movers are really really hard to defend because you know you over chase for a second and they're gone and their acceleration is so good that it's impossible to catch up and even for your inside defenders to catch up so you almost want to wait a little bit you know that's what I don't want as an attacker is a defender who's just gonna wait 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 for me to do what I want to do and then before you know it there's three people around you whereas for someone like a Dewey I'd probably spend a bit more time focusing just on tackle technique whilst equally focusing on you know when they do step having a strong inside shoulder to be able to tackle effectively a little bit different but mostly you know on the f defensive side of things it's just about how much pressure you really apply mate that is such good insight Look, on their third try, let's go into that as well because it's, again, it's winger's knowledge and I suppose that connection between uh, winger and 10 and that chemistry. It actually comes off a charge down. Scotland are retreating. Bounce the ball, can go anywhere. Redpath picks it up, turns around, gaping hole. It happens, right? Goes through, break, quick ruck, hits Finn Russell and then it's like he just knew he was waiting in the five-meter channel. Like, talk us through that, like, wingers, what he's thinking, how does he know that? Uh, I think a lot of it is connection. You'll know as well, Len, from a nine's perspective. A lot of the time you're spent just looking for eyes and that connection with 10. And as a winger, you know, as the play's going on, so after that first breakdown or second breakdown after the line break, the winger, as a winger, sorry, I'm really just looking at 10 to see where his eyes go and see whether he's looking for me because if you're too flat and the ball comes out to you, you don't want to be catching the ball standing still. So you, you need to be deep enough to be able to be connected to the play but if he's going to kick it you want to be flat enough to be flying onto the ball like once the tenors kind of looked into that space and seen it that's when I'll probably flatten up to be able to get to the kick at good speed so that's all it is really it's just as the play is unfolding keeping that connection with your 10 and even if he doesn't look you in the eyes you've got to see that he's looked and seen the space and then put two and two together yeah, and there's definitely principles there because line breaks, you know, there's no coincidence in the five-meter channel. Like, there's no coincidence that Russell's looked at that space straight away given the England blitz defense. So there's some principles there that have got in place. Like, line break, any line break, wingers stand the five-meter channel. Give me that option to kick to you. Yeah. Give me that option. Because if I go out the back and play play, you'll still be in the position to get the ball, right? Yeah. So without doubt, there's some principles there. And Russell, kick on the money. Like, unbelievable kick. Duane van der Merwe actually lets it bounce, right? Which is a bit of a risk from a winger, Tone. Proper. Yeah, as a 10, you'd be fuming if if he didn't catch that. If you let it bounce and it goes over your head or something, I know if that was George or Owen or Polly, they ain't going to be too happy if, if, if you let that bounce and you don't run it in. So 
It was a risk for sure. Again, it's one of those, isn't it? It's like if he's sprinting full beans in and it's catching it on your on your shoelaces, then it's like, do I just let it bounce? And he's just calculating the odds constantly, isn't it? It's standard spawny Scotland. The ball sat up perfectly for them <laughs> uh, rather than like ricochet off and go into touch. So, so I was hoping that when he didn't catch in the full, I was like, yes, he's let it yeah. bounce. Oh, no, it's sat up perfectly to him. But great play, great understanding, great principles, five-meter channel, cross field. It's a great try and recognition of space. So fair play to them. He says through gritted teeth. Um, after that, Scotland were pretty much in control. Finn Russell kicked two more penalties. So at 65 minutes, Scotland led by 14 points. Question from Lucy. She has messaged to ask, did the Furbank selection work? And what did you make of the decision to drop Freddie Stewart? I thought George Furbank actually played very well. You know, one ball got dropped, but like mistakes happen, right? But other than that, actually, I, I thought he distributed well. I thought he stepped up at first receiver when George Ford wasn't available. I thought he was always uh, available on short sides as well. We need more distribution. We need more playmakers. And in previous weeks, we've had George Ford, Dingwall, Henry Slade. But this week, England obviously had Ollie Lawrence back, which now creates one less distributor, but it gives you a bit of gain line, a bit of go forward. And I think that's why George went in there. So look, it'll be interesting to see what, what Steve obviously does for the for the next game. I think if we've got depth in position and talented players, which we have at fullback, it's a good headache to have. There's a question we've had from Suzanne, which I think is a really interesting one. And it seems straightforward, but actually I think she's put her finger on something here. She says, as a fan, it's hard to understand the number of handling errors at this level. If the moves don't come off, you get it, but not catching the ball seems confusing. You know when things become contagious? You know, say you're sitting at a, I don't know, I can't think of an example right now. Maybe you're sitting in a pub with your mates and you're having a laugh. And then like, one's on good form, the other mate's on good form. It becomes contagious, you're having a laugh and it all becomes good fun, right? But like mistakes become contagious. Equally, offloading becomes contagious when one sticks and the next one. It's a bit like the French. When one offload sticks, the next one. I saw that today with France. You know, the little intricate plays with the forwards, loops around, Antonio, massive man, little subtlety, little plays and little passes, keeping the ball alive. It becomes contagious and it works the same way with errors, like one handling error, then another one, and then someone else does it and it's like, oh. And then you become, as almost as a player, you're so aware of it, right? Because no one puts more pressure on yourself uh, than you do. I think players almost tighten up and think, oh, don't drop it. Oh, I'm at the line. Oh, I've spilt another one. Like, and it becomes this sort of like spiral. And I think that this is what separates great players, right? Is no matter what's happened before, good, bad, indifferent, terrible, uncharacteristic, brilliant, they just maintain an unbelievable level of it doesn't matter. It's just consistent throughout. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just, it's nothing in between because the only thing that matters is what you're going to do next. And I just think some lads were hanging on to these little mistakes and it almost became, the next one then became even more heightened and they tightened up. And that is a individual psychology, almost free yourself up to be more relaxed, back yourself and don't get caught up in it. Like the game happens too quick. Moments change in an instant. You haven't got time to hang on to these. And I think being a halfback, being a scrum off, you get more touches than anyone. So it's something I've had to learn very, very quickly is you touch the ball more than anyone. So my probability of making mistakes become extremely high, right? But I can't ever ha hold on to it. I just think some lads were probably holding on to it a little bit. There was one highlight, Ben, for England in the second half. Emmanuel Faye-Boso scored his first international try. It was a good try, right? Winger's try. I mean, you'll never forget your first try and... and um... Manny will be loving it. It's obviously gutting that you're part of a team that, that loses on the day. But to come out there as a winger, what did he get, 15, 20 minutes and score 
even the confidence to call for the ball when you've got two caps and you're coming on off the bench in a losing team, I think shows the type of, of bloke that he is. So fair play to him. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I liked it really. I liked it because um, Red Path was defending around the ruck, right? And Ben Spencer's got a great little show and go around the ruck and he'll know that playing together at Bath, right? So he can't leave him and he comes around the corner steaming onto it and he's a powerful lad, right? And But just boom, picks his hole. He's committed to it and lovely little layup by Benny Spencer. But I was really impressed with him. I was really impressed with him. He's probably put his hand up. Certainly conversation because you look at him, you're thinking, he looked great. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that against Ireland. But I was really impressed with him, actually. I thought he had a great impact. And that's what you want. That's all you can do, isn't it, right? As a, as a finisher, come on and out. 100%. And as a winger, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard because you don't want to force yourself into the game. And I think that's when, as a, as a winger particularly, you start forcing your, getting your hands on the ball. And that's when errors start happening and it looks clunky. So to come on and seamlessly fit in and also score a try and look explosive, I think is testament to him. Ball in hand, he looks strong, didn't get caught behind the gain line once, always making yards and he looked really good. Yeah, I think he did. I think he definitely put himself in the mix. Um, but look, Scotland deserved the win. England didn't do enough and the cup stays north of the border for another fucking year. It's misery for another 12 months till we play them again at Twickenham. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 10-0 up as well. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get over it at some point. Let's go to an ad break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Tom, I want to start this second half with talking a little bit more about Jamie George. Yeah, so the England captain is very popular in the game, he's very popular in the team, he's very popular in the media because he's a lovely guy and he 
has been going through an incredibly difficult time in his personal life. So the day he was offered the England captaincy, he found out that his mum, Jane, had been diagnosed with cancer. And unfortunately, it was a very aggressive form of cancer. He found out on Sunday last week that she was terminally ill and she died on Wednesday. Um, so Jamie's had to go through that. He talked really movingly in the build up to the Scotland game about his mum, about how she was the biggest rugby fan on earth, that his first match as England captain was the proudest day of her life. I mean, you two know Jamie really well and he is a lovely guy. I think what Jamie George has done this week, given the adversity, given the tragic loss of his mother and lead England and go up there and prep a team, perform, but the leadership to do that and deal with all those outside bits that you have to deal with being a captain and a leader already and then having a tragedy in the family and, and dealing with that. I just, you know, obviously he's a good friend of both me and you, Ant, right? I just think that speaks volumes of the guy and, you know, I'm someone that's obviously had loss whilst being a player and it's extremely difficult. But one thing you do have is, is unbelievable teammates, right? And, and that's where, as a teammate, you can show how much you really care is get around these guys during these tough times, right? You know, I think that's definitely would have, whether they say it to Jamie or not, that would have definitely got a few boys going this week. I know that if I was playing, I would have loved to have been able to put my best foot forward out there for Jamie and for his family. Just for one of your teammates who's going through so, so much stuff for him to still want to do all the right things and go about things in the right way like Jamie does and, and play you know, 60, 70 minutes of international rugby, I think is, mate, is, I don't think people really understand how tough that is. Even to speak to the media about it in the week, for me, that's like, what a bloke. I couldn't respect him more. As well, the, the, the little touch that the lads probably suggested, because I don't think Jamie would have suggested it. You know, the black armband, I think, was a was a great nod. But like you said, mate, that's what's special about rugby, to be fair, is that, you know, when one guy's going through it, all of us are. If you wish to escape it, you're surrounded by your teammates that care and want to look after you and want to look out for you. You know, one of the huge aspects of rugby is that cohesion and that family feel to it. And the guys would have been huge in supporting Jamie this week. And, you know, you can talk about rugby, you like, but the, these things are way more important. I just think to absolutely tip my hat to him going out there this week. Big love to Jamie and all his family. 100%. Let's move it on to Ireland. Ireland beat Wales. They've now won 18 home games in a row. So I guess the question, is going to the Aviva now on the same sort of level as going to South Africa or New Zealand and trying to win a test match there. I think it is getting becoming one of the hardest places to go. I reckon it's up there with Mark and Ant in a three-metre channel in an England training session when it did me dirty. But in all seriousness, <laughs> I think it is. And you played in this game, right? We went to Ireland for the second year to try and win a Grand Slam. It's an incredibly difficult place to go. I remember in 2011, I went there as well to try and win a Grand Slam game on the side we lost. 2017, we went there and lost, didn't we? And that ended our 18-game streak. It's always been a very hard place to go, right? But I think it's it's become harder than ever. I'll be honest, Len, I wouldn't put it up there with a way at South Africa or New Zealand. Um, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't either, but I'd say right now it's a very hard place to go. There's so much to it. I think more often than not, when you're in the Six Nations, you're playing Ireland away, generally it's going to be wet, which means it's going to be a niggly game. Ireland are the masters of niggle. You're undoubtedly in for a tough game. And then there's obviously that one little stand and the wind blows in from there and it makes it swirl and it's like it all adds to a challenging environment that's not even to mention the quality of their team right now which is pretty crazy to be fair 
Oh, mate, I agree completely. It is close to, but a three tests away in South Africa, three tests away in New Zealand is doesn't get tougher than that. Gives me a migraine thinking about it. Like, <laughs> Ireland, like, you're not dealing with altitude. Like, playing South Africa with altitude. Like, oh, yeah. my God. Mate. <laughs> Dying. The first time we played altitude in the Lions test, I swear, I thought both of my lungs were on fire for like the first 50 minutes I could, you know people say second wind yeah I was like bro I need my eighth or ninth wind now bro because <laughs> I ain't got nothing left <laughs> I remember were you, on, were you on the tour in 2018 we went to Africa we played them in Jobo no, first well we raced into like a 28 nil lead right and then we end up losing like 42-36 it was something like that right and people are like well what happened I'm like what happened? What happened? No one could breathe, mate. Like, if, if the game was only 25 minutes long, like, we, we'd wrapped up a bonus point and we're, we're packing our bags and going home happy. Like, no one can breathe. So the Aviva's not got that. It's not got that. But what it has got is wind and rain, you're right. And a, uh, right. And a very well-oiled machine right now with a good pack and, and they love it. But if we actually, if we touch on their game, like, Ireland race into a 17-0 lead. Set piece, they were dominant. Scrum, they got real dominant straight away. It took Wales 36 minutes to get into Ireland's half, right? Which is bonkers. And that, that shows the dominance of Ireland. And there was errors and all that. And I almost felt watching Ireland like they're almost still in like third gear. It was like they never really looked like, like they were going to lose or anything like that. But they looked so dominant still. So, you know, I think a couple of things mentioning there is, is their efficiency when they do have the ball though, right? It's so hard to get off them. In that, like most teams will get to a certain level of phases and start getting a bit sketchy about losing the ball. But with... Ireland's breakdown skills, legal or illegal, slight dig there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> They're coming to Twickenham in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah get into exactly. Who's yeah, riffing it? Right. Let, he's, listen, he's listening to the pod, mate. Let him know. <laughs> it just makes it so hard for teams. Guys who are poachers like Underhill, like Tommy Rafael, guys like that, it makes it so hard because 1-15, to 15, they're so effective at keeping the ball. Fair play to them. They, they're, they're on fire right now, but they're going to be niggly. I still think England could throw an upset in there. Yeah, we'll, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. My mate Coley will be fine. On his kick sprint. He's a freak on that, seriously. He is, isn't he? Fair play to him, mate. Also, how, how knowledgeable, right? He got a cut on his head at one point to slow the game down just when Scotland was getting momentum. Just tactically smart. That's why he needs to Vaseline that Malteser-looking head, boy. He needs to start shining it up. Free game. He does. Mate, the um, couple of islands, uh, one of the islands try, tried it early on, was actually sending backs into a mall. So they're going to like, rather than traditional seven-man line-out, they're actually going to like nine-man line-outs, eight-man line-outs, ten-man line-outs, and wingers, and, and James Lowe actually hit it, and all that. Like, essentially, it's just about getting over the line, and the more weight you add, the better. You know, do you like doing that? Do wingers actually no. practice it? Because Ireland did it a couple of times, where they, they added, you know, the winger, the centre, both hit the mall. I mean, look, if I'm on the wing and they ask me to join the mall... I'll either be the last one there or I'm looking to swap wings just before I have zero interest being in malls. Mate, there was one time I got stuck in a defensive mall. Don't ask me how I got stuck in a defensive mall. But I think it was off a kickoff when I was at Bath and Courtney got hold of me and I honestly, I felt like I was getting strangled for four minutes. It was horrendous. Um... I think teams will practice it and it's becoming more and more common. Um, and look, you know, being part of a team, mate, you'll do anything to help the lads. So if it means me joining them all and doing something I don't really like doing, I'll do it. But in terms of, you know, technicals and stuff, mate, I have no idea. I'm literally just don't touch the bloke with the ball, get behind him or in front of him and push. Yeah, I love that from you. Just get the ball so you can score the try. Very smart. But I think <laughs> no. the, the reason as well they're doing all these variations because actually, you know, the, the wingers can be in the line-out, right? Because you can have as many numbers as you want, but they can drop out, take short sides. So 
Arnold are very clever. They'll have variations. They'll have lots of different little subtleties to it. They used it pretty effectively. And then obviously with a set piece, as soon as you get set piece dominance, test match comes a lot easier. And they essentially dominated the territory in this game. And as I say, it took Wales 36 minutes to get in Ireland's half. And they finally do get in Ireland's half. A little bit of handling error, a little bit of skill error takes them off the hook. However, they obviously go in at half time, you know, almost reset this young Welsh team and they come out and they get a score. And then you're looking at it and you're thinking 52 minutes on the clock, Wales get themselves back in the game. It's 17-7. They've just scored a penalty try from a rolling ball, burning the sim bin. Wales then get another penalty. So they've got a bit of momentum out after the second half, right? And they go to the corner again. And I, and I think they could have converted and gone to 17-10. And I get it. It's a bit of fool's gold. They've just pushed over Ireland over with one, but like settle it down and go to 17-10 and like almost what is no pressure for you going into that game because you're not expected to win. You could be 17-10 and actually there's a bit of pressure on Ireland then because you're in the game. You could pick up something cheap. You could get another three points. You know, 17-13, you might get an intercept. You get something, right? Those decisions are key, right, in test matches. You're definitely right, mate, in terms of, especially once you've got someone in the bin, take the points on offer, try and get back down there, try and put more pressure on them. You know, them not finishing that when Ireland have got seven in the pack, it gives Ireland energy and it takes away from, from what Wales have got going and all their momentum and... You've got to keep all the momentum whilst you've got it. But they'll be better for it, to be fair to the, the young Welsh. So you know what it's like, mate, it's playing in a team that's that's not doing well. The thing is, it's like you've got 28 minutes to go. And, and there's an art to decision-making and leadership, right? There's an art to like making these calls. You're thinking, there's still 28 minutes, lads. Like, get to 17-10. Like, hang in there. I, I've reviewed them against England and they didn't get out of the half last 20 minutes. And I'm just, you know, some of the decision-making, they, they will be better for it. Like Wales are on a different journey to everyone else. They are a four-year plan with Gatlin. They are, but right now, when you've lost three in a row, like that's hard for experienced players. How does this feel for young players? I think it's tough and it's, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to summarise how, how they'll exactly be feeling. You know, losing three on the bounce is really, really tough. You know, you can try and find answers in every single facet of the game. Um, and it, sometimes it feels like every single area of the game is going wrong. And I don't think that that's the case for, for Wales, to be fair, right now. I think it's like it's incremental improvements. So they won't be happy. No one's ever happy losing three on the bounce. But I think that they'll be, they will take a lot of confidence from the fact that they could have gone to 17-10 against a great Ireland team in Ireland. Yeah, I think that they'll take a lot of confidence from that game. And, you know, with all the players that have left and all the key players, especially that have left, I think, fair play to them. I think sometimes you feel like you're far off, but you're not. You're not that far off. And I think as a young team, you've got to look at all the great things you have done and not get harped on on, on the losses or certain aspects. Like test match rugby is momentum based and it can swing so quickly, right? So I think as a young group, you look at it and you're going, right, second half against Scotland, we were outstanding. Like we really took the game to them. And on another day, we actually end up being part of one of the greatest comebacks of all time. They had an opportunity, had they managed the last 20 minutes against England, to have gone at Twickenham and won. So there's loads of positive in that from a young group. And then this weekend again, they had a chance to go 17-10, mix it against Ireland. And for, for much of it, you know, they hang in there. I think there's so many things. When you've got a team that fights and they have a spirit like they do uh, this Welsh team, there's so much you can grow on that. So I think as youngsters... I think they should be not disheartened by what's happened and understand that this is almost a part of what you go through to be the team that you want to be in four years' time. So when you are that team, you'll look back and you'll go, do you know what? 2024 was bloody hard, but it was the making of this group. It was the absolute making of what we are now. Like, this is what's going to make us. 
and you have to go through it and you'll come through the other side you always come through the other side yeah well if you look at us Len even England and I know we were we weren't as young a team but if we look at the 2015 World Cup and obviously that being horrendous but what that did for pretty much the same group of players on the back of it in the Six Nations just after it was like chalk and cheese wasn't it you know I think we went on the on the run after that that World Cup so going through tough experiences like that can definitely lead to unbelievable results. Um, you've just kind of got to stick together, most importantly. Okay, let's talk about Italy. We talked about Paolo Garbisi at the top of the show. How is he going to be feeling, Ben? Because he played pretty well. The conversion from out wide was a beauty. And I don't think it's really his fault the ball's fallen off the tee, is it? But he will equally know that the game was there to be won. Oh, I mean, you can't blame yourself. He'd be absolutely gutted because, you know, you set up the same way every time. And like the chance of that happening is so slim, so slim. And, you know, being the kicker, I've just gutted for him. It's not his fault. It really isn't. But you will you will feel slightly as if it is your fault. And that's that's an awful place to be. But I think they should be unbelievably proud. Like the, the, the fight they had in the first half, the desire to keep them out, to get themselves into that position to actually have a chance of winning it. I think They'll be hurting right now, but I think there's lots of positives to come out of that game. It's a really strange period for Francis because Ireland have come out of a similarly disappointing World Cup and they've accelerated away. France seem to be doing the opposite. Another red card from Jonathan Dante this time. It was a red card all day long. What do you think's going on there? You're looking at them and they're not the French that I've known over the last four years. And now you're looking at it and you think, you know what the French are like? They can unravel really, really quickly and it can be random, right? So you're looking at the game in Lyon when they play England last game, they might have thrown in the towel by that point. You don't know what you're getting. Equally, you might come out like crazy. But, you know, you've got to start questioning. You know, they've lost to Ireland, scraped past Scotland. They could have been three losses in a row. And you wouldn't have thought it before the World Cup. But you've got to ask, is Fabian Gautier now under pressure? It's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right, Ben. It's a really strange time for France and it will be fascinating to see how they react in the last two rounds of the championship. Absolutely. Tom, thank you very much, sir, for joining as always. Pleasure, Ben. See you next time. And Anthony, thank you, mate. Mate, thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate you. For the love of rugby. Dan is back with me on Thursday. If you've got any questions for him, follow the show on social and send them there. If you want a podcast ad-free, go to Amazon Music or pay £1 a week on Apple Podcast App. If you want something else to listen to, try Joe Marler's Things People Do. He's got a painter and decorator on this week. It's emulsion and all. Emulsion. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. There you go. <laughs> oh. Podcast Network.